Good morning to each of you. It's good to be here in the gym of the Lord with you this morning. You know, when we go to jail, um, usually we go in teams, and uh, Derek was with me Monday night, and that was a blessing, and been with Dan and Eric many times, and it's not unusual that when we get there and I say, well, what has God given you to, to talk with us about tonight in your devotions, and then I have a study, and a lot of times they mesh really well, and uh, I was thinking this morning, and it's a confirmation that, you know, God is in this thing that we're, we're doing, and this morning when Gabriel walked up here with the square and the the level, I said, yep, he's here. Uh, I wanted to say a few things about tools this morning myself, so that works out really well. You know, life uh, has twists and turns. We're all, if you're not aware of that yet, you're probably a little young or probably will find out really soon. Twists and turns that can catch us off guard, and we like to be prepared for things. We like to be braced for whatever's coming. There's something satisfying about being caught in a problem that looks insurmountable. Everybody around wonders what's going on, what the solution could be, maybe especially your wife, and you calmly pull out your leather and knife and undo the issue with one of the 47 blades and you trim the uncertainty and tighten the resolution a little bit to your wife's amazement, and it's fixed, and you were ready because you had your trusty knife with you. doesn't always work that way, but you might want to pick one up. I've always been enamored with being prepared. It doesn't always look that way because I don't always feel that way, but uh, I like the idea anyway of being prepared for whatever's coming down the road to meet me. Let me tell you a little bit about my backpack. When I was around 12, probably, Mom picked up for me. She knew I'd like it. She picked up a aluminum frame canvas backpack, like the real deal that you would climb Mount Everest with or something. Padded straps, many, many pockets. It had straps at the bottom that you could fasten your, your sleeping bag on underneath. And I filled it up with things that would make me prepared. I had a pocket for fish hooks and fishing line. And you know you can take this fish, a, a curl of fishing line, wrap it on a tin can, tie on a hook, and you can fish with that. Um, I had a little tin container of matches. Did you know that you can dip regular old phosphorus matches in paraffin wax, and they'll stay dry. And when you're caught in a rainstorm, you can break that head off, and they'll still strike, and you can light your tinder or your moss or whatever, get a fire going. And then there was my mess kit. Somebody gave me this for Christmas. It was a folding aluminum frying pan bowl combination with a cup inside. The handle came around. You tightened the wing nut, and it was all there real compact. And then it wasn't a Leatherman, but I had another knife that had a folding spoon and a fork on it, and even a toothpick. 
I was ready. <clears throat> I remember the satisfaction of camping down at the old swimming hole on the Seneca Creek, catching bullhead catfish with my hand line and sitting there eating by my tent and about to crawl in my sleeping bag. It's a good feeling. You, you were ready for this event. You're ready for a trip. But I have learned that as the years have gone by that while survival tools and know-how and gear can be helpful, being prepared, well prepared for life consists of a lot more than just a backpack full of gear. Life has a lot of unexpected curves and while we can't avoid the challenges that come there are tools available that help us face them well in a God-honoring way. After all, he knows why he's letting happen what is happening. He knows how he wants to grow us, and he knows the testimony that he wants us to leave to people around us. So God has a plan. He has a reason for what's going on, and he'll help us be prepared. So today I want to look at the life of a man that I have a lot of respect for, a man with real staying power, a man for all seasons, you could call him, and it's the man Daniel. Now, of the chapters of the 12 chapters of Daniel, there's enough material for many a sermon, and I'm not going to exhaust the potential there at all. But I have admired him, I have look at some of the tools that he had to deal with the curves that came in his life, difficult things that came in his life, and I think we can learn. I'll have three or four that, uh, that hopefully will be something we can remember when we leave here. First, we're going to do a quick overview of Daniel's life, and uh, I'll have to be brief with this, but if you'll just go on and open your Bibles to Daniel 1, there's a few words, there's four verses here throughout the book that I'm going to use to kind of illustrate the staying power that this man had. Daniel 1, verse 21, for starters, and I'm, I'm not going into the stories right here, right now, but um, the first verse we want to look at just says, And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Now, that's just a very short verse, but did you know that was 70-plus years? He, and, and that's after his little deal with the dot program there when he was brought to Babylon. So 15-, 16-year-old Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus and beyond. So we have an 85-plus-year-old man uh, that spanned his life. And continued means he just, he had staying power. He he stood before the king. He did what God wanted him to do. Chapter 2, now verse 49. And this is a whole other story going on here. Chapter 2, verse 49. And this is after he revealed Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him, the first one. And in verse 49, at the end of the verse, it says, But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. He was still there, 50 at 50 years old, roughly. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself on that one. But he was he was much younger than after that first dream. He was about 17 when that happened. The second dream, which we're going to 
uh, would have happened next. He was about 50 then. Chapter 6 and verse 28. And remember, all I'm doing here is just illustrating that Daniel was there to stay, that God had a place for him, and he was filling a role across this lifetime of his. Chapter 6 and verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Another, another king, another reign. And Daniel prospered. Daniel did well. It wasn't that he got rich, but he did well in the life that he was living, the testimony that he was leaving. And then all the way in the last chapter, there's a verse there, chapter 12 and verse 13. This is the very last verse of the book. And he's talking with an angel there, and there's a lot going on in his head, the, the dreams he'd had, the visions he had seen, what did it all mean? The angel said, you know, you really don't have to understand all of this. And, and the, the last verse, it says, Then thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of days. So, quite a, quite a span of a life there. And here, the last verse it looks like Daniel will be standing in God's presence. He's standing to receive his blessing, standing to receive his lot at the end of days. So, that's a really brief overview uh, of this standing, of this prospering, of this existing and doing well in God's economy over that lifetime. So, now to back up a little bit and catch a few years, we have in 606 B.C., we have this young man, Daniel, captured at Jerusalem. Jehoiakim, the king there, was not doing well at all. He was, he was living a wicked life. God had warned them and warned them about the, the, the evil they were doing and that they would be punished. And judgment time had come. Um... Fifteen years old, probably, when Daniel was captured along with a number of other young nobles and, and maybe royal family members. And they were taken to Babylon probably as a guarantee. Jehoiakim was left in power, and they sort of took these young men in as hostages, likely, to ensure that the tribute would be paid. They took the most valuable possession of this little kingdom of Jerusalem back to Babylon as surety that the rent would be paid, that the, the uh, tribute would keep, keep coming to Babylon. So nothing Daniel had a thing to do with, no choices that he had made that caused him this great trouble to be torn away from his family, from his, his uh, familiar surroundings. He had nothing to do with it, but it happened. It was, it was, it came upon him through no fault of his own. He could have moped, he could have griped, he could have been bitter, and spent a lifetime of miserable uh, captivity in Babylon, but he didn't. We find that whole story, we see him obeying conscience, standing firm. Uh, wanting to do the right thing with his Hebrew religion, avoiding the king's food, which was probably not kosher, probably not prepared according to Hebrew dietary laws. We see him 
missing out on the goodies and eating vegetables and doing well with it. So he did not compromise. He, he stayed true to his conscience. That's at age 15, 16 or so. And he studied, and God blessed him, and he had a relationship with God, and he grew. And in, even in that environment, that probably wicked environment, we find Daniel doing well. And then the first, or the second story that we have about Daniel that we often think of is when, that, when Nebuchadnezzar the king, who had been very well pleased with this, this group of, of uh, Hebrew youngsters, that were learning so well and looking so hardy on their veggie diet. Uh, the second chapter talks about the dream he had and then his, his insisting that his wise men tell him not only the interpretation but to tell him what the dream was. And we see Daniel uh, interpreting that dream then for him and saving the other Chaldeans, the wise men, and his friends. That's at 17 years old. Uh, just on an older team. Then chapter 3, we have the fiery furnace story, beautiful story. Don't see Daniel involved there, but I'm sure he was, uh, was an encouragement to his friends in standing on conscience. Even if he may have been off on a business trip or something, we don't know. Um, then we have Nebuchadnezzar's second dream, which actually is Nebuchadnezzar gives this, this chapter 3, and it's transcribed by Daniel, apparently. Talks about how he was feeling proud. He'd forgotten about this first round, the first dream he had. Um, and he wonders what it means. And then Daniel comes to explain again to him. Probably didn't call him right away because... He probably remembered that Daniel had a God in heaven that he served and that this dream probably was not too complimentary for, him, for, for Nebuchadnezzar. So he hesitated at saying, but finally Daniel was called and he was reminded of God's omnipotence and convicted by Daniel's uh, interpretation of his dream. That's at 49. 80 years old, the next little time slot in the timeline, the regime change had happened. We have Belshazzar, who was either son or grandson, depending how you read that um, story. It's in chapter 5. We have the feast there where they brought out some of those temple uh, vessels, the golden temples that, that Nebuchadnezzar had brought back from Jerusalem. Um, they're drinking from them. They're desecrating these, these sacred vessels. And his hand starts writing on the wall. What does it mean? And Belshazzar is so shook up by it all. His knees are knocking together. His hands are shaking. And there's an uproar. The queen mother, probably Belshazzar's mother, a widow maybe of Nebuchadnezzar, not quite sure about that. She hears what's going on. She comes in and says, we have a solution. I remember this happened before where we had a situation. We didn't know what was going on or what to do. We called Daniel. He's a brave man. He's a, a, a man that has, and we'll see a little later, has the spirit of God in him. And he could help us out here. Daniel is 80 years old at that point. Amazing. 
And then one of the most familiar stories for all of us, all the children, is Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was probably 82 or 83 years old when that happened. An old man down there amongst the lions. And that's where King Darius referenced Daniel when he talked about God, the God of Daniel. And that's a, a nice way to be winding down your senior years, right? Well, his dreams hadn't started yet. The vision to Daniel saw started in about 84 and continued probably till he was 90 plus. And it was during the reign of Cyrus when Daniel was about 85 years old that the captives were returning back to Jerusalem. So uh, this tremendous lifestyle, uh, a life of service to God, this committed life that uh, spanned at least four rulers, probably more rulers than that, and three different kingdoms, and Daniel did well. Daniel prospered amongst all of those. That, like I say, that didn't mean money. That meant that he served his God. He lived a life of integrity, and he blessed the people around him. He had a good place in society. <clears throat> What tools did Daniel have to live a successful life with the challenges that he faced? And can we learn something from Daniel? Can we prepare for and face our own life conflicts with the tools that Daniel had? I think we can. I think we can if we dig a little deeper. <clears throat> I'm jumping through his life and pulling out pieces to make this this study. There's there's beautiful stories all through here that could withstand on their own very, very well. But we're talking about different components of Daniel's life that worked well for him in dealing with trouble and his being prepared for whatever life brought. This is where I'm starting with the tool, I think, is uh, an important one, essential one. Daniel had an excellent spirit. Okay, what does that mean and where do we get them? Let's look at uh, Daniel 5. And that's the Belshazzar story when the he was giving this great feast to a thousand of his lords and drinking with them and using those vessels that had come from the temple back in Jerusalem. When the queen mother heard the uproar I mentioned before, this is in verse 10, she said, or this is how it transpired. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the, king, the queen spake and said, O king, Live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in the kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the, God, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, I say, thy father made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, 
whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. And then again in verse 14, Belshazzar, when he addresses Daniel, he says, I've heard of thee, and that the spirit of the gods is in thee. Okay, that's, that's one reference to the excellent spirit that Daniel had. Daniel 6 and verse 3, this is after the kingdom had changed. This is under King Darius, Darius. And over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto him, unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred among the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. Okay, an excellent spirit, the spirit of the gods. Well, we don't quite talk that way these days, but we do know that there is God's spirit that we need to have in us. And we have some really good verses in the New Testament that talk about how essential it is to have God's spirit. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 for one of them. We're told there, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So an excellent spirit, a spirit of the gods or of God, is Jesus' spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that we need to have in us. It's proof of our sonship. It's proof of our citizenship in heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And if we don't have it, we're not even his. But we can have it. We can have this spirit that proves the Abba Father, that, we're, that God is our Father, and we have His Spirit in us. It's an excellent spirit. It's a spirit of God's. The Spirit allows us and empowers us to live a godly life. That affects how we relate to people around us. First and foremost, we receive that Spirit when we're born again, so it, it makes us part of God's kingdom, and then it helps us to live a godly life. It helps us prepare for things that we don't see. It helps us when things are coming, God knows about them, the Spirit can help prepare us sometimes in ways we don't even know what's going on. <clears throat> so the new birth is how we get this Spirit, and how we grow in this spirit is in personal surrender. As we surrender our, our will, as we surrender personally, it gives the spirit more control. Not a second work of grace, but a ongoing growing of grace in us. As we surrender our will to God's will, the spirit can move us and prepare us. That's not a personal accomplishment. Far from it. That's not packing my bags and being ready for whatever comes. That's God working in me to prepare me for life. That's one, an excellent spirit, God's spirit. Good tool to have, got to have it. The tool of prayer is number two. And Daniel is a beautiful example of that. He was convicted of prayer. When uh, the, the whole lion's den story was about him praying, right? 
He was thrown to the lions because he prayed. So he was certainly guilty as charged. Daniel modeled prayer all through his life. And one thing I thought about with Daniel, he made some lavish requests, didn't he? He made some pretty major requests of God, and God answered in a big way, and Daniel praised in a big way. Let's look at chapter 2, back to the story, the first dream of Nebuchadnezzar's chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Here Daniel and his friends, watch this. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known, that is the situation that was unfolding with Nebuchadnezzar, and the beheading or killing of all the wise men. Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. They had vested interest there, didn't they? Uh, they prayed fervently that there would be wisdom given to Daniel, that this secret would be unveiled, that he could tell that dream to the king. And then listen to Daniel's words in verses 20 to 23. After the wisdom, after the secret came to him, and Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might and hast made known unto me now what was we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Beautiful prayers, and there's many more, a number more that are recorded through the book of Daniel. <clears throat> okay, Daniel is challenging us, I think, in, in our prayer life. He fasts, we see him fasting, seeking, asking, praising God, and God loved it. God desires a seeker. God honors a seeker. And Dan, that Daniel was. So, an excellent spirit. Good tool to have on the journey and the tool of prayer that God wants us to communicate with Him. He wants us to bring our needs and desires to Him and our praises. And it will better equip us to travel. Number three, I have as an important tool in our journey, good and godly friends. And just so you know, that's, that's what I consider you. You're my friends here, and I'm blessed to be a part of this group. And that's an important thing to have people around us. Now, you don't absolutely need good friends to lead a godly life, but it helps. And that's... We need help in our lives. We need all the help we can get, don't we? There is strength in togetherness. There's strength in mutual purpose. There's encouragement. There's prayer support. There's mentoring. There's fellowship when we are together. We are strangers in a strange land like Daniel was. Daniel and his friends were strangers in a strange land. They needed each other. 
and they bless each other, I know. I'm sure when they decided Daniel, at Daniel's instigation, to stay away from the king's food, they talked about it together. I think they were all with Daniel on that one. If Daniel, I don't know when he heard about the situation with the fiery furnace, but I'm sure Daniel commended his friends for standing firm there and, and not giving in to, to bow down to that king's uh, big idol, big image in the plane. They blessed each other. They needed each other. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must show himself friendly. That's how you get them. That's how you get friends. And the second half of that verse says, There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, meaning that you don't have to be biologically related to have good friends. We can have good friends. And Jesus, of course, is our best friend. And number four, I think Daniel modeled humility for the, for the smarts that he had, the abilities that he had, the interpretations that he had given, and his staying power all through those years as a, you know, as a politician or a statesman at least. He could have been pleased with himself. He could have had a, a tall ego, but he didn't. Daniel never boasted about his own ability, but he did boast a lot about God's. One thing that's really touching is in Daniel 9, this was after the dream started. Remember, at 85-plus years of age, Daniel, in thinking and meditating about the future, God gave him visions for some amazing, amazing prophecies. It's uh, fascinating to read through. But Daniel, about the 70th year, when it's time for the, Israel's, for the children of Israel to go back to Jerusalem, um, when under Cyrus's reign, he has a beautiful prayer of confession there. Notice, though Daniel personally was likely not guilty of any of these, these sins that he talks about, he includes himself in this prayer of confession to God. Let me read a number of verses there. Uh, Daniel 9, verse 3 through 19. I'll read that whole bit. And... Uh, we're winding down. <clears throat> and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek my prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day, to the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel that are near, and they that are far off throughout all the countries where thou hast driven them because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God, our God belong mercies and forgivenesses. 
though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. That's, maybe I'll jump down to verse 19. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Taking responsibility upon himself even for the condition of the people, of his brothers and sisters, fellow Jews, and confessing to God, intercessory prayer for his people. It's a beautiful thing that the humility that Daniel uh, models there. Those are four that I wrote down here, and I think there'd be many more we could find in the book. Uh, one, one that's coming to mind is how Daniel, how Daniel accepted and understood God's sovereignty and knew that God was in control in spite of these many things that had happened to him. He just knew that things would work out, that God would work it out, and, and whatever happened would be okay. So that's, that's another lesson for us, that another tool that Daniel had. But for us, life is challenging. From the little battles to the big struggles, probably a life like Daniel's would look pretty big to me. But let's be encouraged by Daniel's example. Let's allow God's Spirit to live and work in us. Let's keep praying for strength and wisdom. Let's keep good friends around us. Let's be honest and humble before God and others. And then we can look, I think, at the last verse again of Daniel chapter 12, verse 12a and then verse 13. Blessed is he that waiteth. Go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. God is in control. He has a plan. He knows what He's doing. He knows what He's doing in my life and in yours. And if we seek Him, if we if we have that spirit of Jesus in us, we have an excellent spirit to work on us, work with us. If we pray and spend time with God and look for His leading and guiding. If we keep good friends around us and keep some good humility in our lives, God can do a lot with us. So God bless each of you as you let him work on you this week.